Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the News Bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 8, beginning in verse 14 to the end of verse 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to you, Lord Christ. Well, friends, welcome back to the Christchurch Oceanside podcast. I haven't been with you for a few weeks now, and so I'm excited to pick up our studies again here in the Gospel of Matthew. But before I do so, I want to say welcome to the first Sunday of the season of Epiphany. Now, as you know, if you've been growing with our church, we follow the Christian year. And Advent is the first season of the Christian year, so that begins off our new year, so to speak. Then we have the 12 days of Christmas, which leads us to the season of Epiphany, which started for us on January 6th. Now, this season will carry us through to the season of Lent, which will then prepare us for Easter. Now, Epiphany comes from the Greek word Epiphania, meaning manifestation or appearance. And so in the context of the church here, Epiphany refers to the appearance of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world and of Israel and the Gentiles. So for this reason, Epiphany is commonly associated with the visitation of the Magi or the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. So the church has long viewed the Magi finding Jesus, thanks to the leading light of the star, as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 60. And it speaks to the promise that all peoples and all nations will be drawn to Christ from within their own cultures, that signs like the star have been sown into the fabric of all peoples to lead them to Christ as the fulfillment of their need for a Savior. So it's a beautiful season, and it points to this idea that God is at work in all places, and his mission to the world is going forward. 
So the passage then we find ourselves in today of our studies of Matthew hits upon this very idea, but at a family level. So I'm going to spend a couple weeks on this passage. The first week I'm going to spend on Peter's house and his mother-in-law's illness. And then in the following week, I'm going to unpack Matthew's description of Jesus's freeing of many people who were oppressed by demons and the healings of all who were sick. But I think this story here about Peter and his house and his mother-in-law is great timing because we're all coming out of the Christmas holidays and we've had family gatherings and with that comes family dynamics and holiday seasons you know, whether it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter, these are intense times for us as people. Brings up a ton of emotion. And, our, you know, whether we're going back to our family of origin, man, it brings up stuff about our past, the way we are raised, the dynamics of our family relationships with siblings and in-laws and all of that. And so I think we're all kind of coming out of that processing. What did we just experience? What's the relationships we have with our family, maybe with our kids or our grandkids or their spouses or whatever? So there's so many different dynamics. And when we come out after a holiday like this, there's an emotional, mental process that we have to go through to go, how was that for us? What did I just experience? How did I show up? Am I okay? Am I healthy? I mean, I've been doing journaling and special prayer times to kind of process that through, to answer some of those questions of like, where am I at? So that's kind of the setting that this text is going to land, is our own family dynamics around Christmas. Now, there's another setting at play here, which is the setting of where this sits in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, the disciples and the crowds have just witnessed Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, are now following him back into Capernaum, where they've interacted with the man with leprosy and the Roman centurion. So that's our setting. Matthew highlights, though, that the next stop is Peter's house. So what we want to do is we want to kind of take this text of Scripture, we want to put ourselves into Peter's shoes or his sandals. And we want to put that into the context and the setting of our family gatherings around Christmas. Now, if we go back to Matthew chapter 2, 18 to 22, we see Jesus call Peter, or Simon as he's called there, and his brother Andrew with these words, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, this is the very thing that Peter and Andrew do. They leave their fishing business. They follow Jesus up the mountain where they sit under his teaching. We can gather from this sequence of events that Peter has rightly prioritized following Jesus above his business and even his responsibilities to his home. Peter has been with Jesus as Jesus has healed many then followed him up the mountain to take in his teaching and has now witnessed this kind of like triumphant entry into Capernaum. But what I want us to notice 
I think it's something important, is that the first place that Jesus goes of kind of his own volition in Capernaum is to Peter's house. And this is happening at this pinnacle moment in the launching of Jesus's ministry. So the centurion, the man that just came to Jesus, is functionally and authoritatively leading the city. And he has just called Jesus Lord and submitted him and his whole household to Jesus. So the whole power differential of the city has changed drastically in this moment. But now, just as this ends, Jesus is heading to the lowly house of a poor fisherman. So he's showing how his rule prioritizes things. But I want you to imagine that you're Peter. So Jesus tells you that you're called to catch people. Jesus commences to start catching people, lots of people. (laughs) Even the people that you think can't be caught. Maybe the ones you think are too far gone, whether because of sickness or disease or mentally and spiritually unwell but also the powerful and the influential people you think wouldn't want help or need a savior, Jesus is catching those people too. So imagine trying to process all this new information where you're seeing like the lost causes healed. You're seeing the most powerful people that you once feared submit to Jesus. And you're standing next to him because Jesus has called you specifically to share in that ministry. So with every new person that is coming and submitting to Jesus, finding Jesus, being saved by Jesus, Peter's heart has got to be swelling with significance, the gravity of the role, and all that he's been invited to share in with Jesus. And then Jesus says, In the midst of all of this popularity, right, the intensity of the crowds coming to him, Jesus then says, Peter, let's go to your house. If I'm Peter, I imagine my first thought is, my what? Like, nowhere in my frame of reference of what's happening is my house on a level of the priority. And, and, that's as much of a confession as anything, is to just say, when the whole city is coming to Jesus, and all the wealthy and the powerful are coming to Jesus, and the sick and the lost causes are being saved, and you say, let's go to your house, <laughs> my first thought is, my my where? My what? Because it would be so shocking to all of a sudden this grandiose macro Jesus function at this high level, then wanting to get micro and come to my house. After the shock, as they start to walk towards Peter's house, I'm guessing the next thing Peter is feeling is terror. Because what's awaiting him at home? And is it going to be ready for Jesus? And, and he's going through all of the, you know, humble, broken, insufficient, because this is a fisherman. This is a lowly dude. And and I think it touches on this point is that in my experience, there are two kinds of followers of Jesus. There are those who can tend to miss out 
on what Jesus is doing because they prioritize their quote-unquote real life of their family, their work, etc. over Jesus, and they miss out on Jesus. But there are those who prioritize the work and the ministry and the mission of Jesus over Jesus himself. Both end up avoiding or missing out on the transformation which Jesus wishes to bring to our quote unquote real lives. And the reality of Jesus is that real life with Him is in the depths of your own heart, in the true situation of your family, and that leads to what we're going to see is for the sake of the world. But we want to follow Jesus. We want to see him change the city. But we hesitate at the idea of Jesus coming into our home. Why do we do that? Why are we hesitant? Why would we fear Jesus coming into into the reality of our lives in our family? I think the first most obvious one is that home is the place of unresolved problems and pain. For many of us, we hear the offer of salvation from Jesus and see him as an escape from the life that we have. But salvation is not primarily an escape from our broken lives. It's a redemption and a restoration of them. But the need for salvation is real and it's uncomfortable. And family is complicated. So, of course, we're going to have reservations about digging into that mess because it's often the mess we feel most unqualified to fix because we've tried. The second thing, though, is that home is the place of nakedness. By that, I mean you can see the, the truth of a person in the eyes of their family. Imagine Peter's whiplash here, the high of gathering crowds standing next to Jesus to bringing him home to complicated relationships. And what we see here is with a sick mother-in-law. And in the scriptures, sickness is usually a sign of dysfunction. There tends to be a correlation between sickness and sin, not always, but often. And whatever reasons or qualifications Peter thought Jesus chose him because of, his home is going to reveal how unqualified he truly was to share in Jesus' ministry. So you feel naked. You feel like your shame is on display of going, oh man, things are tense right now. My mother-in-law's sick. My wife is looking at me of what am I going to do to fix this? And I haven't had the means or the resources or the money to make the change that we need here. That's a scary visit to bring the King of Kings and Lord of Lords into your house. I mean, I feel that way. Don't tell him. But when the bishop visits, it's a bit freaky for me. of like coming to church and going, ah, he's going to see that our church is a mess. There's this fear of like, uh, all my weaknesses are on display here. But here's the good news of this, is that home is also the place where we see the true Jesus. By going to Peter's home, Jesus unveils yeah, the truth about Peter's situation. But even more importantly, he reveals the truth about himself. We see the character of God. 
we see the nature of the Savior and of his salvation in that he's coming into the real deal. He's coming home. This is the place of salvation, and it's beautiful. So let's look then at what happens when Jesus enters Peter's home. The first thing that happens is Jesus zeroes in on Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick with a fever. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. So this is the brilliance of Jesus. Nothing's going to escape him. The obvious problems are obvious to him. And he doesn't just ignore them like we tend to do. He doesn't work around them. He goes directly to them and touches them. Now notice, Jesus isn't looking at Peter asking, what's the deal here, man? And what are you going to do about this? I can imagine this is predominantly what Peter felt. Is everyone's looking at him going, Peter, you got to fix this. What happens, though, is Jesus takes responsibility for the situation. Jesus fills the need, and he moves into the center of the family system. And this is the thing about family systems, is the loudest, biggest problem tends to take the center of the family, and the orbit of each member of the family is to orbit around and work around and be defined by that problem. Jesus comes in, sees that problem, but then he takes center stage because he's big enough for it. He solves the problem. Jesus brings peace to the true underlying issues. So the mother-in-law and her fever kind of acts as this kind of sign of this. This is the problem that nobody knows how to fix. Jesus comes in and fixes it and takes the place as center. Now imagine everyone's relief. Because now they're not all looking at the problem. And now they're not looking at Peter or whoever as a potential solution. Now everyone's looking at Jesus and then looking at one another through him. Their relationships with one another are now being renegotiated renewed and transformed because the pressure of the need has found a solution in Jesus. And so their relationships become a consequence of his presence and his touch. Now notice the next step. And she, Peter's mother-in-law, rose and began to serve him, began to serve Jesus. See, Jesus sees the mother-in-law cares for and heals her. And suddenly, Peter and his mother-in-law move from, we can imagine, some degree of a complicated relationship to one that now is united in a shared calling. What is that calling? To serve Jesus. Not serve the problem, not serve themselves, not seeking to just keep the peace or appease one another, but now to follow Jesus. He's the center. He's the focus. He's the one that everyone's energy goes to because he has given himself to them. So what happens is Jesus comes into the home and they find their true selves in him. 
They follow him in his teaching and in his way. And what does that result in? Love for one another. Because Jesus naturally just de-escalates problems by going everything that has need in this family system. Every problem that exists, every dysfunction, every sickness, every source of pain, all these problems focus them on me. I'm the singular solution. What that does is alleviate so much pressure off of everyone else to fix the problem. And no longer does everyone have to orbit around the dysfunction. Now they get to orbit around Jesus, their true source, true fulfillment, true salvation for their own needs, and then relate to one another through Jesus at the center. So if you picture everyone in a circle, now the mother-in-law's sickness is not at the center, Jesus is. And they get to look at each other across the circle through Jesus at its center. This is how love works in the way of Jesus. Jesus sees you and loves you. You see Jesus and find your fulfillment. And as you peer at Jesus, you see that there are others behind him. Your spouse, your kids, your other family members. And you know that you have what you need in him, so you can love and relate to them. Their shortcomings and weaknesses and sins and problems are de-escalated in your eyes because you're seeing them through Jesus at your center. You're going, oh, I see this problem, I see this weakness, but I don't have to feel responsible to fix it because Jesus is here. Now those problems and those weaknesses end up just getting covered in love because we know Jesus is going to be enough for that. And it brings peace to the family culture, brings peace to the structure. Now, if you take Jesus out of the center and put a problem back in, what happens? Oh, the intensity rises. The stress rises. What are we going to do about this person and this problem? How are we going to fix this? Who's responsible for this? Who caused this? You can feel the level of stress rise. But when Jesus is at the center, we know I'm okay. Jesus is going to make them okay, and we can relate to each other in a de-escalated, peaceable, true peace, even though the problems still exist, but true peace, knowing that Jesus has them, and then we focus our energies on love and trusting Jesus. But here's the beautiful piece of this little story here. Obviously, Jesus in the home is beneficial for all of them. But the impact doesn't stop there. The family's reorientation around Jesus ends up having a societal impact. Verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So their home moves from a place of complication and sickness into a place of unity and healing. And it does so by humbly receiving Jesus into the home, allowing the true needs of each person 
to be known, but to be fulfilled by Jesus. It's all turned to Jesus. And then devotion to serving Jesus allows them to renegotiate how to relate to one another with Jesus at the center of the family. And this creates a well of healing. This place, this source, this beacon of light that the neighborhood, the world around it, is drawn to their home to find the healing of Jesus. So what happens is Peter finds Jesus. Peter brings Jesus home. Everyone in the home finds Jesus. That creates this culture of like relief and love and shared purpose. So much so that those around them go, we want to come be a part of this system. We want to find Jesus. We're bringing our needs. And the family doesn't freak out going, I can't fix your needs. I couldn't even fix my needs. Instead, the family says, find Jesus. Jesus fulfills these needs. Jesus brings healing. Jesus fixes this. So I I just find on this side of Christmas, this story is a beautiful picture of how bringing Jesus into the center of a family system changes the system, changes the culture, changes the way it exists, and how that leads to naturally Jesus doing his mission to the world. So where does it all leave us? I think we can't help but take stock and go, yeah, my family's dysfunctional. (laughs) I'm dysfunctional in my family. I'm not at the health and the growth I want to be at. But if I turn all of my heart towards Jesus and receive Jesus turning all of his heart towards me, and I trust that Jesus is doing his work in the family members that I'm with. I don't have to fix them. I don't got to save them. I don't got to change them. It frees me up to know that I can just love them and Jesus is going to take care of the saving business. The truth is, this is the perfect foundation to discover the way you really want to parent your kids the way you want to serve your adult kids, the kind of family system and culture you want your grandkids to grow up into. We're not changing each other. We're not fixing each other through nitpicking, underhanded comments or anger or blame shifting. No, no, we're we're bringing, we're finding Jesus for ourselves and then we're seeing Jesus for others. And we're just free to love. But this creates transformation. And what we see here in this text is that leads to societal impact. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and the way Jesus works and how Jesus changes the dynamics in a family for the sake of the world. Man, this is, it's just a beautiful pursuit for a church like ours and families like ours to, to try to pursue together. Well, my friends, this is another beautiful picture of the way of Jesus. And my prayer is that you would see the invitation for yourself 
You go to him. Find your fulfillment in him. Be okay in him. Then see Jesus. Believe that he's actually coming home with you and is at work in other people. And you can de-escalate the responsibility you feel to change them, to conflict with them, to disagree with them, to make them be different. You can just see that Jesus is working in your home. And you're free to love them. And as you share in that, you point others to Jesus. They'll find healing in him. They'll have a renewed sense of purpose to serve him, to follow him. And you'll find you're suddenly in unity. And you get to love one another for the sake of the world. It's just a beautiful picture of the way of Jesus. So this is my prayer for you today.